Welcome to the Light Switch Podcast by Luminate Student Ministry, a place for the skeptic, the Bible believer, as well as everyone in between. As you know, our world is often in the dark. Our hope is to flip the switch on topics surrounding biblical engagement, apologetic arguments, spiritual formation, and emotional wellness. We want Jesus Christ to illuminate every aspect of your life so that you can shine the light of Christ in every situation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Light Switch Podcast. We are excited to bring you this uh, today's episode. As Aaron always says, we've got a fun episode for you. And I am always right. <laughs> um, we also have Daniel here. Daniel's here. Oh yeah, I guess I'm just here. <laughs> That's why we have the fun episode, because we're all together We're again. all together. Oh my Ooh. goodness. Um, so, but before we jump into the content, some really cool news. Today is Monday, May 8th, and so as of today, we have 91 followers. Whoa. We have only been uh, broadcasting for four months. This is the start of our fifth month, Um, and so we've only been broadcasting for four complete months, and we already have 90 followers, which is super, super cool. Super humbling. We never thought this was going to be anything. Aaron, I told Aaron this today, and she goes, that's not bad for being nobodies. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell where I am in my self-esteem. <laughs> you seem like you're in a good place. <laughs> I mean, that's that's more followers than I have money in my bank account right yeah. now. So. <laughs> well, oh, you gosh. are an intern. So. Resident. Resident. Daniel, Resident. Daniel's a GoFundMe right now. We'll link that in the description. Um, He's got a wife. Yeah, <laughs> they need your support. Um, Please. So, uh, but we are excited uh, about our content today. That's why all three of us are uh, coming to chat with you about what we have been doing with our students uh, and some of the results of some research that we've been conducting. So, Aaron, take it away. Yeah. So we have been reading this book as a family ministry team called Recalibrate: A New Measure for Family Ministry. And in one of the chapters, Richard Ross, is uh, he put together this list of 10 characteristics of what makes a lasting faith. And so in this episode, it's real simple. We're just going to go through the survey results of these 10 questions. So we're going to break this up. And we have three categories within these 10 questions. We have relational connection, evidence training, and gospel living. We ask them to answer these questions for themselves, but then we also ask them to answer how they perceive what they see in their parents. Let's actually make sure we tackle what we're really, really focusing on in this familial formation, right? So you have these three points here, which I think are really, really important for us to remember. This is more of a focus on the heart not just behavior. Uh, we, we don't want you to think, oh, I'm not a good enough Christian because I haven't, I don't have these 10 elements, right? It's again, it's more about the heart. This is just an assessment to kind of see where we're at, to see what things we can improve on, to mm-hmm. see w- how we can measure ourselves and move forward. That's the whole point of recalibrate. Um, and so that's our heart. Please don't misunderstand. We, we really want you guys, our listeners to understand this is not to heap shame. This is not to uh, throw anyone under the bus. But we are going to talk about the categories of parents, the categories of students, what kind of things they see in their parents, what kind of things uh, they perceive in their families. And that can be hard truths sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, because what they perceive are behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so you might have the best heart where you want your kids 
devotion to be so strong to Jesus, but if they're not witnessing the life change and the priorities, then that behavior has to be exhibited in some way. You have to model that for your student. So that's our first, first and foremost. It's mostly about the heart and less about behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and what you were saying really leads into our second and third points of why we did this survey is we want to teach young people to use today's challenges to build life skills for the future. Yeah. And the third is to bring their salvation into each new stage of development. Right. And for me, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, and yeah. I saw that modeled by the other adults in my life. Right. And if you're a student, if you're a parent, you know, whatever age you are listening to this, we mm-hmm. all have an experience with this, whether right. it's with our families or with it's with another adult who had discipled us and came alongside of us or are currently doing that. So that's the purpose of, yeah, why we are talking about these numbers and results and why we spend a good chunk of our youth group time taking students to a survey like this. Right. Cool. So now, how about now we jump into that first question? Yeah, let's get to it. All right, guys. So our first category is relational connection. Uh, We're going to have three questions that are surrounding this area. And the first question we have is, do I and my parent have a warm heart connection where I witness a transparent adoration of Jesus, embracing of God's word, and living for the glory of God? Woof. Woof. Man. <laughs> so we also yeah. want to make sure we make some yeah. definitional terms here, right? So when we asked this question, we were looking for at least one parent. So that first little portion of the phrase, do I and my parent... And I, we put in parentheses, at least one have a warm heart connection. But how we defined warm heart connection was we said an emotionally healthy connection with other people. And that was ultimately where we, we really wanted to make sure our students understood what we were saying because a warm heart, heart connection just seems very fluffy. You know, so it's like, <laughs> what do we do with that? Like, what's that mean? You know, mm-hmm. so we want to be able to make sure that we articulate that that was a healthy emotional connection where the student can witness in the parent and the parent can witness in the student a transparent adoration of Jesus, an embracing of God's word, and a living for the glory of God. Yeah. And what were these results like? We surveyed 17 students. 14 of these students uh, answered yes, they have this experience with their parents. And As we ask them, what's your perception of your parents? They have the opportunity to either indicate, do you just see your mom? Do you just see your dad? Do you see both? Or do you see absolutely no parent model this? Seven of them said their mom. None of them say their dad. Six of them say both. And four say none. Yeah. And that's actually, as you see, we'll keep coming back to this, but the dad category in this entire survey is zero all the way across the board. Every question, dad is either absent or he's seen as a partner in the discipleship. Um, And so that's, that's kind of a, I mean, that's really exciting as long as dads are taking active roles within that partnership. Um, But it genuinely does or generally does look like moms throughout this entire survey have much more of an influence than dads do 
on their spiritual development. Yeah, so this these results just for this first question seem pretty positive. Yeah. Like we we want the nun category to be pretty low. Right. And for this one it is pretty low. It overall is 24% of all the students. Right. And then the highest are students saying that yes, I do experience this. Yeah. So I, that seems pretty trustworthy that it's it's pretty positive that they are really high with relational connection in their home. Yeah. So let's uh, jump into that next question, yeah? Yeah. So the question is, do I and my parent connect with significant people who welcome and work together on our doubts and questions? And what it looks like here is it looks like um, speaking in percentages with 71% of our students. So 12 affirm that they and their parents do connect with other people who welcome and work through their doubts together. So again, another moment of like, this is really cool. This is really, uh, this is, this is awesome. Um, We had six of our students respond that they do that with just their mom. We had six. So a tie here with both their parents that work through doubts. Um, and then sadly, we, we had five students who responded with none, that they are the only person who works through their doubts on their own, and it's by themselves. We also did a, a survey a while back, and it was the majority of students would rather talk to a pastor. They were either neutral or they agreed that the majority of students would rather talk to a, a pastor than their parent about the doubts that they're having. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering what it's like on the parent perspective of this because yeah. as this as it stands, like this is just how the students perceive their relationship yeah. with their parents. Because we in that survey that we conducted in twenty twenty one. I think so, yeah. Parents saw themselves a pretty high percentage of uh, them being the primary disciple of their yeah. students, but then when we looked at the students' results right. of that same question, yeah. they say, "No, my pastor is." Yeah, and so it was this weird reality of students mm-hmm. seeing their parents not as the primary disciplers, but their parents seeing themselves as that. Right. It's like, how do you make sense of that? Right. <laughs> and I mean, uh, working through doubts and questions is something that we do want a plurality of voices, mm-hmm. right? So I think the one positive thing I take from this is that 71% of students are working on their doubts and questions. Yeah. Right. That's super exciting. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that with either a mom or both their mom and their dad. Mm-hmm. What's sad is that of the students we surveyed, over one in four, so almost a third, almost a third of our students aren't working on those doubts with anyone. And that, that again, just signifies to me, um, I don't want to say a lack of involvement, but a perceived lack of involvement on the student's mm-hmm. side, which can be hard. That's a hard statement to make. Well, well, the question, though, isn't necessarily do you have this in your home? The question was, do I and my parents connect with significant people? Yeah. So it's it's it could be that they are talking about it in the home. Yeah. But they're not seeing their parents go to people who are meaningful in their life to talk about their own personal doubts and questions. Yeah, yeah. Like my mom, you know, as I stated in in the beginning of this podcast, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, but I have a really good relationship with my parents. Yeah. But I never really knew any struggle that they were going through. Mm. Like I never really saw them cry or anything. Yeah. Uh, So Mm. 
I could only imagine that if I wasn't, a, if they were Christians, I, I might not even see that from them either. Yeah. So I wonder if it's just common though, yeah. that parents mm-hmm. aren't really talking to their kids about just certain struggles that they have. Cause maybe yeah. they feel the need to hide, right? you know, and kind of protect and yeah. shield like, your kid doesn't need to oh, know man. this. Or... Well, that goes right against our one of our base values of authenticity. Yeah. Right. So, if, if, and that's what's interesting is that if our students are being modeled in authentic, inauthentic mm-hmm. emotional responses, then when they show up here, they go to school, they're going to replicate what's been modeled to them. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, or would... over exaggerate what's not. Yeah. Exactly. Most of authenticity now that we see is a distortion of authenticity because it's an overexpression of what they felt like they couldn't express at first. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And Daniel, you grew up in a home where uh, your family was pretty mm-hmm. expressive. Yeah, I saw everything on this sheet. As we go through every question, I would have answered yes for everything. Yeah, yeah, all of it. Um, I think it was just for me. Um, actually, let's get to the next question because okay. I want to say something based off of that. Off of the from next the question. Set, from the, set, the next right. question. I can read it. Yeah, go for that. it. So do I, so the third question was, do I share a heart connection with many members of the congregation and do they share a mutual adoption with one or more adults who adore Jesus? Hmm. So are we, as a congregation, do we really have a relationship with one another? Do we have a connection? That's a mm. big word right there. Yeah. Real connection is like real relationship. We're not talking about you wave at each other at the coffee time yeah, yeah. in the welcome center or when you're in check-in, you're like, hey, nice to see you. And yeah. then you're out there, you're passing. We don't do passing the plate. But uh, like yeah. um, when you're just sitting there when the pastor says, turn to your left and greet somebody, yeah. like deeper connection. Um, so like are you involved in a small group Are you involved into a, a small group? Yeah. Are you? Do you actually know people within the church? Yeah. Student-wise – when we engage this question, 94% uh, said yes. Yeah. And then when it came to the question around the parents, they said for the moms, uh, 41%, for the dads, zero, and for both parents, 24%, and then for none was six, 35%, which is our highest percentage in the relational connection, mm. is that parents, what for, for the students are perceiving are not uh, – are not connecting to people within the congregation. Yeah. And I'm going to say this, you know, I was talking about this earlier. One of the things that's different is one of the things I saw growing up is my parents went to small groups. My parents are part of small groups, each one of them right now. Um, I saw them interacting with other believers. Yeah. My dad was the pastor of the church, but I also saw my mom take initiatives and lead a small group. Mm-hmm. And even when my dad's not been a lead pastor right now, he is a part of a small group. So even yeah. when he came out of the lead pastor position, he continued and went to a small group. Yeah. Our students, maybe the reason they have a better connection is because they're not just going to the weekly services, but they're meeting with a small group of people that mm-hmm. share similar ages and are in similar places in life with them. Yeah. And they're meeting with them a extra service a week. And yeah. that expectation is, and it becomes challenging because we realize to have real connection, you can't just see uh, see somebody for an hour right. once a week right? Um, and say, like, that's family. Like, yeah. if you were to say I had a real connection with somebody, if you did only see them once a week, you're probably seeing them for more than just an hour. Right. 
do you remember who was in your math class last semester? I asked some, some students this last night, and they're like, no. I go, but you remember who was on your soccer team, right? You remember who was yeah, on your football team, point. right? Because you spent hours a day with those people. Mm-hmm. You spent arguably more time with the people in your math class, arguably, mm-hmm. right? Like if you take the entire semester, mm-hmm. arguably you've spent more time in a math class with people, but you remember the people you played with. You remember the people you ran with. You remember your homies. You remember your crew. You remember mm-hmm. your squad, mm-hmm. right? You remember those people. Why? Because you have shared experiences with them. Mm-hmm. And that's genuinely what it means to belong. That's why we push belonging so mm-hmm. much here is because it's about it's about genuine connection. And that can only happen if you show up. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. But like I've said this before, people don't complain about not being connected on the soccer team when they're on the baseball team. Right. Mm-hmm. If you choose to prioritize something else, then that's OK. Mm-hmm. but you shouldn't expect the soccer coach to reach out to you when you're on a different team, mm-hmm. right? Because that's not the point. Mm-hmm. You've got another crew. You've got another group of people that you're connected with, and that is okay. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing from this re- these results is, is that what's perceived from the student, as you're mm-hmm. saying, is, is that students have those connections with their friends, with people here, when they show up, but they're seeing their parents, at least the students we surveyed, mm-hmm. they're seeing their, their parents as not having that connection. And uh, I mean, as we continue on in this podcast, if it becomes alarming, um, I really want to challenge you parents. Don't become offended. Yeah. Have it. May this make you more aware and have real conversations with your kids. Perceptions yeah. real. It might not present the real reality of what's going on. Right. But if you guys took these results for your kids and it turned out that some of these kids say yes and you were like, they're lying um, in the same way, um, that needs to be called out too. You could be doing something in private, but you guys are a family. You all are living in the same house. Yeah. 365 days a year. You should be running into circumstances where you're seeing each other live out your faith. Yeah. This shouldn't be a secretive like – Right. Um, it's, it's not something that like you should make an effort for it to be seen, not as like a showing off thing, but like for each other, like there's no, there's no way that if you were living with people like Alexa knows my wife knows I spent time with the Lord yeah, because I will tell her, Hey, I'm going to go spend time with the Lord or I'm going to go do this or I talk about my faith with her. Yeah. So yes, there might be a reality of both sides of this, that you're living out your faith. But like in this circumstance, and we're talking about this circumstance within a parent-child structure, it is important that they see you living out your faith. Yeah. Um, it can't just be a behind-closed-doors type of thing. And yeah. if it is that reality, and even if you didn't have bad intentions with it, it still is a problem. Yeah. Perception per- presents possible problems. Yeah. And that's, yeah. 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 So don't just assume your child knows what's going on in your faith. Yeah. Actually tell them about it. Yeah. I think that that's the, probably the best statement is it's like, well, I'm doing all of this stuff and it's like, well, we got to stop assuming that our kids are, are, are paying attention because they're not. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Right. <laughs> and, and so like, <laughs> definitely, definitely not. Right. Everything is vying for their attention Yeah, and they have so much pressure on them. They're not paying attention to what you're doing in your quiet time. Mm-hmm. So show them, pray with them outside of mealtimes and before they go to, and, and not just before they go to bed, 
Pray with them about their, their fears, their anxieties. Sit down with them and have open and authentic conversations with them where they can be real with you. But that does require that you, parent, also be real with your student. Mm-hmm. And talk about that friend that you call when you're in trouble. Talk about that that Bible verse that you that you read when you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Talk about those things with your kids. So we're going to move on to our second section here within these questions of evidence training. So question number four here is, do I and my parent know how to apply the principles of scripture to our lives while navigating a pluralistic culture, which means multiple beliefs, different worldviews, um, and people who live in a different way? This is one question that I'm always intrigued on. Uh, because I love apologetics. I love worldview formation. I love navigating a pluralistic culture. It's one of my favorite things. Um, and it's really fascinating because of the students we surveyed, three of them said none. And so what that tells, what that can indicate is, is that can indicate that w- we as a student ministry are equipping our kids to be able to navigate a pluralistic culture. And so that's why you see so many of them say yes, uh, that they can navigate that with the 11 who say yes. Yeah, 65% of students say yes. Yeah, which is uh, awesome. But what's scary is that there are is there is a group of students who are having to do this alone. And that to me uh, is is a dangerous place to be. Um, yeah, the pluralistic culture could be their home. Yeah. There's another book, uh, that we read with a group of parents called the intentional father. Uh, that's a podcast, uh, called the intentional family. And they talk about this idea of detachment and how, uh, if your student doesn't have a role in your home, um, if your children or your kids don't have a role in the home, that they will actually detach from you and attach to their friends and they'll find a role in a society. Uh, that's what we do. It's You can say it's placed in us by design, but we all have a role someplace. And so we'll find that because roles help bring value, help bring meaning, help bring purpose. And so as I'm watching my three-year-old and my one-and-a-half-year-old grow up, my hope is to continue to train them towards a role within the family so they don't detach from me and our family, but then find themselves attaching to their friends and their culture. Uh, Because as you said, Aaron, maybe the pluralistic culture is their home. In my research on counseling and psychology, there's something also to piggyback onto that called differentiation. Yeah. And actually high differentiation in families is actually a healthiest family structure Mm. than a non-differentiated family. Yeah. So what that means is you can still be attached together as a family, but you know each one's unique talents and gifts and thoughts Mm -hmm. and personality, and you're not trying to conform your personality and the like to look the same throughout your family because that's not a healthy, cohesive body. Right. I mean, even even on a sports team, I, I like soccer, right? You have a couple people who can play in the midfield. You have a couple people who can play forwards. You have a couple people who can play defense. You even have a couple people who can play goalkeeper. 
but each one of those people plays differently. But they all serve a role on the team and on the field when they're there. And so that, to me, I think is the best way to think about it. Think about it like a team. How do you get your your kids to see their role on the team? And I think that this question uh, hints at that danger that that we don't have good enough roles established for our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's jump to the next question. Daniel, give us this uh, this this fifth question. Do I and my parent know how to correctly interpret scripture and to pray? And do we take responsibility for our own spiritual growth? With just the students, we had 11 say yes. We had three say no and three that were unsure. Mm-hmm. I mean, 65% said yes. Yeah. And then when it came to the parents, 18% of them said that their mom they see that in just their mom zero percent as it being just their dad yeah but for both parents they saw uh 35 percent so six of them and then 47 percent said no none like for their for their parents like none 30 47 percent so they're taking ownership of their own spiritual growth as students but Mm -hmm. they don't see their parents as taking ownership yeah or on the other half, they're either unsure or no. Yeah. And I think I think one of those things is what we see is um, we had a, I had a funny moment with one of my students um, in my small group uh, where I asked him, he said he could interpret scripture. And I was like, well, how do you interpret scripture? And he's like, yeah, you just understand. <laughs> uh, and yeah. what he meant, he was actually meaning just a few different passages. He knew yeah. he wasn't meaning all of scripture. At first I thought he was meaning all of scripture. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow, I guess I could throw my master's degree away. Yeah. and just, <laughs> right. I just throw all the learning I had exactly. just, just exactly. understand. You just got to have faith, Daniel. Just don't have faith. <laughs> and I'll say this. When I was asking the students this question, I don't know if you guys experienced this. There's almost like this like unconfident yes when I was talking to them. And when they were unsure, they were just like, yeah, but I don't Mm -hmm. do it perfectly. And like, oh, I can't like, you know, I don't know how to interpret all of scripture. That's not what we're asking here. But what we are saying is that what we're asking here is do you know how to correct correctly approach scripture not saying can you read it and instantly understand it but you know how to go down the process of interpretation and that's more than just reading it and feeling something that you feel like it's saying and then going with it and that's also not just taking something you've learned your whole life and said this is what everybody told me this passage meant so that's just what i'm going to go with um that's not interpreting scripture also um other voices matter. And then what's also interesting is this was coupled with prayer, mm. that there's this unsureness at some level or not seeing this of prayer. And then also taking responsibility for your own spiritual growth. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that's really interesting that this was in a sense, this is our biggest none so far. Yeah. The 47 percent. Um, and this is pretty much the I mean, the. The three big 
the big three in spiritual life. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what I was the big three in spiritual life. Yeah. <laughs> Interpreting scripture, prayer, and taking responsibility for spiritual growth. This kind of couples into the next question, question number six, where the nun category is also 47%. Back to back. Which is, do I and my parents share a life-on-life relationship with a disciple who adores Jesus, who helps to guide through a challenge, and is active in systematic discipleship process yeah so it's those last three words systematic discipleship process that really relate to the question that you were just yeah. talking about daniel is when we're in a systematic discipleship process uh we learn better how to pray yeah how to posture ourselves and read scripture and interpret scripture yeah and then say that it is because of that that we are growing yeah. christians and are you like actively seeing after actively trying to become better at it so like i feel like one of the reasons this is so nuanced and why you can be so awkward answering this is because no christian wants to be like yeah i'm i'm perfect at praying and (laughs) reading the word and my spiritual growth guess what we're we're all not perfect at it but this is a big question where heart posture becomes a real thing and i would really question that as some of you might listen to it's like well yeah i'm not like i would put no for that but like, yeah, like nobody's perfect or anything, but really the yes comes through. Do I take ownership for my faith? Yeah. Do I actively try to learn how to interpret scripture? And do I like actively pray? Yeah. And if you're not actively doing that and you don't have that heart posture, then you're never going to know how to interpret scripture. Yeah. You're never going to know how to pray. You're never going to know how to take ownership of your own spiritual growth. And sometimes these ones are so simple, but they can be the most complicated because we're afraid of, if I'm not doing it perfectly, why am I doing it at all? When this is an active pursuit question. This yeah. is training. Training is not, okay, right. you're trained once, you're perfect. Yeah. Training is an active thing you do to grow and become better. I think w- one of the things along with this too is, is that we oftentimes, I don't know if it's a, I guess I don't know if it's a direct thing or if it's a if it's a, a specific, like, I don't know if this is, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not direct, but an indirect uh, teaching that we mm accidentally put forth but we oftentimes will be like oh good you raised your hand now you're baptized you're in you're good mm-hmm. and it's like no the christian life is a process mm-hmm. right uh the bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling right mm-hmm. now that's not again don't mishear us saying you got to work to be saved but like there is a process to leaning deeper into an understanding of who god is and what he has made you for and I think that comes from a systematic discipleship process. Mm-hmm. And w- one of the things that I have found really interesting in here is, is that uh, if you look at the bottom of our sheet here, guys, you'll see that the overall evidence of training, this is the overall statistics, that our students see the major- majority of our students see themselves as pursuing evidence training on their own. And what's really fascinating about this is that when you look at how to define what an unchurched person would be, you're looking at for a student whose family doesn't isn't actively involved or they come from a split spiritual family, right? Um, so either both parents are not involved at all or just the mom is involved. And from what we've researched, if, if it's not both, it is just the mom um, who's involved. Mm-hmm. And so what's crazy about this, the majority of our students are falling into a category where they themselves 
are coming from unchurched homes. The majority of our students would say more often than not that they are dis- be, that they are discipling themselves by themselves and that they have to try to do evidence-based training on their own. And I think that that's a sad, a hard realization for us as pastors, uh, for us as uh, disciplers, um, for us as student ministry people who want students to come here. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing more of is we're seeing less of the people that come on a Sunday morning in there come Sunday night to our student ministry. But we're seeing people who don't attend in there come Sunday night more. Mm-hmm. And and so that is what's fascinating to me in all of these stats. And I think that that is an indication that our stuff is attractive to the unchurched because we're answering questions that they're not finding the answers to at home. And I think that that when it comes down to the end point here of this, this, these three questions, this evidence training, that's what the unchurched is looking for. They're looking for answers to questions that they're not being provided with at home. This last section, uh, the last four questions that we have here really build on the first two sections. We've looked at relational connection. We looked at evidence training, which are the building blocks for how we practice and live out the gospel. So that is our last section here, is gospel practice. And we're going to start with our church body, our congregation here, and do I and my parent frequently, and what we mean by frequently, (laughs) is two times a month or more, actively participate in intergenerational worship on Sunday mornings. For students, they answered 76% yes. For their mothers, they said 29%. Uh, Of course, fathers in this category is zero. As we stated at the beginning. Yeah. All of the dad is zero throughout this entire survey. Right. Both is 35%, but also is tied with none at 35%. So again, it just bolsters even more so what I'm what I was saying at the, just a second ago, is that you have a lot of our students who come on a Sunday morning, and they might come alone mm-hmm. or they might not come at all, mm-hmm. um, because from what it looks like, of those seventy six percent that say yes, half of them either come alone or probably with a friend, uh, or they come with their parents or just their mom. Yeah, and so. Um, again, it comes right down to it that there were a lot of respondents that don't come Sunday morning, but come here Sunday yeah. night. Oh yeah. So I can think of several students that come just to our, uh, youth group experiences on a Sunday night yeah. that don't attend Sunday morning worship. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's look at this next question. <clears throat> Do I and my parent approach vocation? And how we defined that was work, school, play. Mm -hmm. Do I and my parent approach vocation and all of life with a sense of divine calling 
and an appreciation for our spiritual gifts. Thus far, I think this is our largest no category. For this is our largest no. Because category, yeah. I'm not so sure. <laughs> I think from when I was uh, going with students throughout this process, they're yeah. like, I really don't know if my parent even likes their work or anything. <laughs> or if they Bruh. think that it's about their spiritual <laughs> gifts or, you know. Like, or I've never, <laughs> I've never even asked my mom or dad if they think exactly, this is a divine yeah. calling. <laughs> Wow. I think but of, what uh, were the results here? My dad, as a side job, worked at UPS. Yeah. And I used to ask him, how was work, dad? It was work. <laughs> yeah. Just go to yeah. sleep. Yeah. <gasps> Moving boxes. Yeah. <laughs> just right. like going. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's like, I mean, it's crazy because not uh, like 53% of them said yes. Yeah. Nine of them said yes. Yeah. Nine, is, nine, nine of them said yes. And then five, no. Three, unsure. For just the mom, it was uh, three, uh, like three of them said just the mom. And that was at 18%. And then for both, it was 29%. And then for none, it was 53%. Yeah. Um, and as somebody that still works in a like a side job that's kind of like, I work at Planet Fitness, we got some great deals. Oh, my gosh. Shameless plug. There it is. High school, <laughs> hey, for the high schoolers listening, high school summer pass. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, free gym for the whole summer. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I would tell you this, is that, it would be hard on paper to be like, how does my spiritual gift work out as I'm sanitizing machines yeah. and like yeah. helping out guests and right. all that stuff. Right. Um, but honestly, I see active conversations where we just talk about life when we're sitting there, standing there, talking around the way that I approach conversations, the way that I'm interacting with members. Um, I've had to call myself out a few times where I'm like, oh, I'm not. I didn't treat that member the best or I got right. easily frustrated right. or said I was just being really negative that day. Mm. Um, and I really see that as like I have a divine calling to live out my purpose as a follower of Christ within Planet Fitness as much as I do here at the church. Yeah. Um, and I and I see that with I do I have to I would have to say, do I have to work harder to bring it up? Yeah. yeah. Do I have to work harder to see those opportunities? Yeah. One hundred percent. And what I notice also is a lot of students they have a hard time approaching their fellow students at school because they don't it a lot of their a lot of students that aren't from faith backgrounds or yeah. don't care about their faith don't want to have conversations about it right. and you might be seen as like to quote like more of like a, the dc talk generation yeah. a jesus freak yeah. and like all that and um there's a loneliness yeah and i this is such a big part of my life um, or as one of our students that just got baptized, uh, Sawyer said, like, this is life. Yeah. And I can't even share it right. with my friends. Right. Mm. And school is their work. Right. School is their nine to five. Right. And for us, you know, that's hard because like sometimes it can feel easy. And I feel this like so much. It can feel easy to just be waiting till the end of the shift and stay in your own lane at your workplace yep. and keep your head down once you have your lunch break right leave the like don't go to the break room with right. all the people you're working with right. like go into your car right. and just right. like and we go our whole day and we as one of my professors jim Lowe, we miss the quiet whisper of the lord saying there they are speak yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you even see it too. Instead of the, the one of my favorites, because I worked third shift back in Meyer, uh, back at, back in my, back in the day at Meyer. Um, awful job. Oh, <laughs> no, the worst. Um, but that's what I would do. I wouldn't mm -hmm. go to the break room. I would go sit in my car. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things. And now it's, you might go to the break room, but you're on your phone. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're stuck in the, you're stuck in the, the, the endless wheel 
uh, of the endless flick of the thumb mm-hmm. of, oh yeah, what's next, what's next, what's next? And, and you've missed the opportunity to sit and have a conversation with somebody else because they are also on their phone. Uh-huh. And I promise you, you, what's going through your mind is, oh, I don't want to interrupt them. Interrupt them from what? <laughs> right? They're not doing anything. So it's been so it's gotten so easy for us to not want to be an inconvenience and to jump on our phone and quick or our watch and quick s- flip and look and see mm-hmm. what the the next the next slide is right or the next photo or the next whatever you have for it. You yeah. know what's really interesting about this question though is uh, I I think you you you've read this I don't know Daniel if you've read this book yet but mm-hmm. it's called Habits of, Habits of the Household but yeah. is it Justin Early is his name Yeah yep. he talks about work in yeah. a chapter in this book and he has young kids and and I just looked up here just now that we spend in our lifetime the average adult 90,000 hours throughout your lifetime Oof. spent working and that's that roughly uh, year to year spends one third of your entire life and wow. think about it though you're tired after coming home from work yeah. whether you know we're pastors whether we come home from work uh, at a church or whatever or at Meyer right. and what do we usually do we don't want to talk about work at home no. we want to f- mostly forget about work at mm, home right. even if it was a good day or not right but it's like, what if, let's use your Meyer analogy, right, yeah. Matthew? What yeah. if you were still working at Meyer today yeah. with your two kids yeah. and you came home and you had the opportunity to talk, talk oh, to, let's say, <laughs> Emmett and Tia? What if, what if that is your reality now and you yeah. had the opportunity to be like, you know what, Emmett, daddy went to work today and I learned how to humble myself while I was stacking mm-hmm. water Boxes. bottles. Yeah. You know, and that's what I. That's it was actually tampons. <laughs> I, I had to restock tampons. That's funny. That was my job. Well, I was also a mall cop. There's a whole history. There is, but but <laughs> lots of jobs oh that, gosh. that I I did not operate within the idea of a divine calling. <laughs> so, oh my word, that's funny. Someone's got to do it. But we Someone's spend. If it. it's true that we spend one third of our life yeah. working, yeah. it's either our family sees us as. Uh, work is just something that we have to do for right. a third of our life and not understand why. And then we get bitter right. about that we have to work. But right. the theological concept that God put Adam in the garden to be a good worker, to right. till the garden. Right. To work. To work and to contribute to society right. is a good. Yeah, Utopia is not you sitting on your butt for the rest of your life watching football, Netflix, or playing video games. No. Utopia is you owning the plot of land that you've been given. And I don't mean that as like a farming analogy. I mean that as a literal analogy. I firmly believe that the kingdom of heaven is going to have jobs for us. There will be economies. There will be things to do. There will be work to be had in the kingdom. And if we think that we're just going to go up to heaven and just sit around and not do anything work is good work is not a result of sin the toil that comes from work now that's a result of sin and now we're getting into a whole theology of work and that's not necessarily the point of of what we're trying to say here but Aaron I think you're onto something that's really important for our families to start modeling to our students and to their kids and what I love about the habits of the household Mm -hmm. is that 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 guy starts with his he's a lawyer he's a lawyer He's basically Randy. I really think it's actually Randy. He just photoshopped himself. Um, but he's got four kids, all under the age of 10. 
and he is modeling to those kids what it means. And he's doing it imperfectly. He is sucking at it in his own words. But he's trying his heart. He's, mm-hmm. he's putting his heart in the posture to do it so God can bless it. Mm-hmm. Right? And he fails. He shows the frustration at bedtime. And he, he, he then has to go down and deep mm-hmm. inside of himself and say to his kids, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have operated that way. Mm-hmm. And he demonstrates to them humility and dependence in order that they would see that this is what true masculinity looks like. And that's, man, that's what I think I want most of our people to see out of this particular question is, is that life has to be approached with a divine calling. That doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor. It means that if you're an engineer, a waste management, electrician, a, a builder, if you're a stay-at-home mom, whatever you are doing, take this as an encouragement. Your role on this earth is to further God's kingdom with whatever occupation or non-occupation you find yourself in. I don't care what You stack those tampons. Yeah, you, you restock that shelf, boy. Mm. You do it fast. <laughs> boy. Because you don't want to be caught there <laughs> by your high your school buddies. Self? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> your high school buddies going to come in there. And, and I, um, They're going to ruin that up. You know? <laughs> I feel like that moves right into our next question, which is about not just we, – we're talking about what you do in your work, but mm. what you do in your service. Mm, yeah. So like number nine, the question is, do I and my parent actively serve and yes. minister with other generations as well as peers? So are you serving with people that are your own age and people that are different ages than yes. you? Um, one thing you, I could say I see this for myself is every week I sit down with a guy named Mick. Yeah. Um, that's one of our small group leaders. That's the fellow small group leader for the junior and senior guys. Yeah. And my man Mick is 80 years old and I'm 23. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm actively serving with somebody that's a whole couple different generations yeah. than me. I'm no shot at Mick. That a guy's a legend. A couple generations. Dude, that guy's a straight up legend. That's a legend. You guys might um, actually hear from him a little bit later. So. Hey. <laughs> uh, and then there's, so with our students, 70% said yes. So yeah. that's 12. Four said no. And then one said unsure. Yeah. For just their mom, they said 41%. So that was seven. And then for both, four, yep. which is 24%. Yep. And then six of them said none, yep. 35%. Yep. So we're talking about like actively like serving, doing stuff yep. um, within the church, within your community. Um, and, I, and I think that's pretty, that's pretty crazy is that like our students are at a 70% level um, serving with each other right. and multiple generations. One of those examples is we have two awesome students uh, – Dahlia, no, three actually. Oh yeah. my gosh, we have a few. Oh my gosh, right. there's yeah. multiple. Dahlia is one of them, but yeah. uh, anyway, uh, but uh, shout out Dahlia, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so Dahlia, uh, so we have multiple students that are in our kids' ministry, yeah, that are serving with other adults, yes, and mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. And the church is one of the best opportunities to serve with people of multiple different generations, yes. which is one of the ways the church is to operate, right. is that you can have greeters that are 70 years old and 17 years old. Right. Like that's that's the beauty right. of what we can find here. And honestly, it's hard to find that in other areas. In right. community stuff, yes. Yeah. But mostly when they're doing service projects as a school, you're only serving with your high school. Or Correct. service projects as a workspace, right. you're only serving with a certain group of people. Right. But to actively see on a weekly basis, um, multiple generations serving to someone is so unique part of the church. Yeah. And um, when we look at the statistic, what we're saying is, and this isn't a plug for you to volunteer at Keystone, yeah. which you should though, but because <laughs> we'd love to have you. Yeah. Um, uh, 
I, I, I genuinely believe that um, that's one of the ways that we want to invite you is to be able to volunteer here at church because you're getting to serve and interact with other people. We talked about the being in relationship, having connection, yes. three, three, like the two, uh, the relational section of yeah. this podcast. Like that's one of the ways you can do it is yeah. by serving with others. Right. Because again, it gets back to that question. Do you remember the people in your math class? No. But do you remember the boys and the girls and your, your fellow squad mates running through the trenches of a football field, mm-hmm. winning that game or even losing that game together? Yeah, you remember that because you were working hard together. Mm-hmm. You were serving together, quote unquote. And that's the beautiful thing is that when you look back at your experience in church as a teen or as an adult, you remember those people that you served with. When you're down in Detroit handing out backpacks full of school supplies, you remember the people that you served with. And you can do that with anyone. Mm-hmm. And, and any generation can do that. And multiple generations at one time can do that together. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, so yeah. let's get into our last question here. And this is a doozy. Yeah. And this really brings in, I think, a really good cohesive picture. Yeah. Right? For everything. Mosaic. Mm, mosaic for that everything is. that we have discussed. Yeah. Am I, am I parent confident about having conversations that are evangelistic, that is sharing your faith? Yep. Or that call for a reasoned defense for the faith with the unchurched? Yeah. 24% of students say yes. 35% of students say none for their parents, Yeah. for how they perceive their parents. 29% of students perceive that both of their parents do practice this. Yeah. But what's crazy is that only four of these respondents said that they would be comfortable and confident. Yeah. I mean, that, again... Our hope is that we can reach the unchurched. That's one of our hopes. Mm -hmm. That's one of our goals, Mm -hmm. right? And what this tells you is that the the people who are churched don't even know how to reach the unchurched. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's the hard. That's the hard part. So Uh so do we make a space where the unchurched come, or do we train and better equip our people to go get the unchurched? And I really think this them. this has to do with what we were just talking about with this last question of serving, because the more that you are involved in your church community, the more you want to build it up. Yeah. The mm-hmm. more you want to see and welcome people into what God is doing in this local community. Right. Mm-hmm. And a question that I would have for people is, are you actively serving just as Daniel mm-hmm. was talking yeah. about? And how does that service further your burden for God's burden for people? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And what's really crazy about if we look at the highest percentage for our students, mm-hmm. they see that the, the, that the highest percentage was in the none category with 40% on average saying no. They don't see their families living out a gospel life. I think that there's a couple things that as we wrap this episode up, we can really lend itself towards some practical takeaways mm-hmm. that we should really hit on. And I think the first one is, is before we jump into our, our, our takeaways that we have here, is the first one is that your teens are not paying attention to you. Mm. So you have to be intentional mm-hmm. with displaying gospel. Like, buy a neon sign. I don't care what you do. 
set up a space at your table. Don't do your devotions in your den anymore. Do your devotions at the at the kitchen table. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. your kid comes downstairs, they see your Bible open up. When your kid, you know your kid's going to walk downstairs. Don't be cheesy, but like maybe that's a time for you to be like, "Hey, we're going to pray." Or, or maybe after breakfast, just before they leave your car. Actually, this was really cool. We had one family do this. Just before we they got out of the car, every single day, they said, hey, we're going to transition into school now. So let's sit down as a, as a family. Before you get out of the car, before you go into the school, before you do anything, we're, gonna, we're just going to pray real quick. And it's going to send you out into your space. My parents, they had something like that. Where every morning, they would give us a hug, they would kiss us, and they would say, hey, it's a battlefield out there. Good luck. We'll be praying for you. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> like, You're weird, so Dad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they would, we knew we were loved. We were, we were sent out in love. Yeah. But we were warned in wisdom. Right? And be okay with your kids not treasuring that right now. Yeah. You know? Oh, Mom, Dad. I remember being like, yeah, yeah okay, Mom. Great. It's like 6.30 in the morning. Okay. You know? Yeah. I get it's a battle. Yep. I get it's a battle. <laughs> you know, I understand right now that it is such a battle to keep my eyelids open. Okay? <laughs> yeah, but I like that point, though, Matthew. Uh, your yeah. teens are not paying attention. Yeah. Mm. So make it obvious and don't assume. I think another thing, too, is what we learn, especially in this work uh, question, mm. is talk about your life. You know, being a Christian isn't just talking about your devotional life, but talk about your work. Yeah. Talk about how you, as we said at the start of this podcast, uh, build your life on the challenges that you experience yeah. for skills for every day. Yeah. Yeah. And then talk about those failures. Don't talk about the successes. Talk about when you lost your temper and how you had to repent. Mm. One of the things I think is really interesting is when you look at the Gospels or you look at Israel mm. in the Old Testament, they are always depicted as terrible people or idiots. Like, why is that? Because our life is built on the learning from mistakes, not the perfect golden moments of life. You learn yeah. more from your failures and your losses than you do your successes. So tell your kids about your losses because maybe it will help them not lose. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I just think always to go back to it is like, I think Aaron, you said something really good. Um it's a process yeah. for both sides and you have to sometimes, even if it might seems like you might have to force them to be like, okay, I'll close my eyes. And like, I'll never forget when my mom, every morning we would put on the armor of God and maybe someday they'd be like, yeah, about the truth. <laughs> Let's righteousness. <laughs> that is nerdy. Yeah, that that is. Is. I love it. You were homeschooled. Yeah, no, <laughs> I listened to Narnia tapes though. <laughs> Yeah, you know. did. No, we would put the we would so put the armor of God on every day, and yeah. but I'll tell you this: like cool. it's one of my it's favorite cool. passages, and yeah. I love doing that. And you have to let things develop. One of the best teachings I ever heard about this is like you, Matthew. Like you have Emmett. Yeah, Emmett right now says, "I love you, Dad," and he's learning about love. Yeah, and he's saying, "Oh, I love you, Daddy," and yeah. everything. And then he gets older, and he's twelve years old, and he's like, "Oh, I love you, Dad." Yeah. And then he's 16 years old and you get him his first car. Oh, dad, I love you. <laughs> and then he's 25 and he's getting married and he's like, oh, dad, I love you, man. And then you're getting older and he's 40, you're, he's 45 and he's like, 
you're getting to the end of your life and he's like, man, dad, I love you. And it's just like older and older with time, there's an investment in the things you're teaching your kids. And when they begin to own it and then you hear them say it, and then you hear those Bible verses and then you see their kids teaching their kids, you'll be like, man, it was so worth those years because now they really know what they're saying. And that's, that's the goal. That's what we want. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, just a couple things is I, for us to take away some real positive things is that uh, overall, the highest percentage for our students was relational connection. So I think that that's really, really good uh, that our students are seeing a high, high relational connection in their family, the relational connection with uh, their churches, with each other. I think that that's really good. But then the reality there is that the lowest student overall percentage is gospel living. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a cautionary tale. That's a cautionary flag, mm-hmm. right? Of like, okay, all right, we assessed, we found some information out. How can we now be better mm-hmm. at making our gospel living more overt, more, um, uh, I don't want to say in the limelight, that's the wrong term, but more intentional and purposeful and obvious to our teens who are themselves struggling to live gospel-centered lives, right? Mm -hmm. Again, this all comes back to our three main points. It's about the heart. It's not about changing the behavior. It's about teaching young people how to use today's challenges to build life skills for the future. And it's about helping young people to bring their salvation into each new stage of their development, into each point of their lives, into their schools, into their work, into their home life. This is a shameless plug for our student ministry. It's about shining the light of Christ mm-hmm. in every situation. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that ultimately we can live out of the thing that we were designed to do, right? A Christ follower exists for the glory of God. A family exists for the glory of God. And a youth ministry and a church exist for the glory of God. Hard stop. So how are you living for the glory of God? Guys, this was an awesome conversation. Let me tell you what. You stack those tampons in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yeah. You will not live that down, buddy. I'm not going to live that down. I'm going to come into my (laughs) office. There's going to be tampon boxes on my desk. Get stacking. That's going to be the card, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. All right. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. If you liked our episode, if you think this would be meaningful for someone, uh, like, subscribe, uh, share with a friend. Again, we can't we can't thank you guys enough for uh, yeah, coming along with us. Yeah, this is truly incredible. Yeah. All right, guys, we will see you all later. Peace. Peace.